Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. The Apostle Paul has been uh, traveling in our series across the Mediterranean world, and most recently we've seen him imprisoned in the city of Rome awaiting his uh, trial before Caesar. And we talked a little bit in our last segment about what probably occurred at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, how he was most likely released from prison in Rome at that time and had some freedom to move about the Mediterranean world once again. We think that he wrote at least three letters during this period after his first Roman imprisonment, uh, two letters to Timothy and a letter to Titus. And so in today's session, we want to look at the letter of First Timothy. First Timothy seems to be written from Macedonia in Greece to Timothy, who is stationed in Ephesus, according to First Timothy 1.3. The letter is meant to charge Timothy to watch out for false teaching and guard the church against false doctrine. There are six chapters in the letter, and we want to examine each of these briefly together in this session. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul, for his faithfulness to you and to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his desire to proclaim it wherever he went, and his desire to build up others within the body of Christ, including uh, younger ministers of the word, like Timothy. We pray that as we examine this letter, that you would help us to gain encouragement and challenge, and that your spirit would work in our hearts as well, like it would have in Timothy's so long ago. We thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul lays out his purpose for writing at the beginning of the chapter in verses 3 and 4. We're going to take a look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul says that the purpose of, of what he was charging Timothy with was to produce love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith in verse 5. So he wants Timothy to hold fast to the sound teaching, the doctrine that he had received from Paul. Paul says people who turn away from sound doctrine might desire to be teachers, but don't understand what they're actually saying in verses 6 and 7. He points out in the following verses, verses 8 through 11, that the law was given not for the just, but for the unjust who practice all things contrary to sound doctrine. After verse 11, Paul goes on to say that he was once 
just such an unjust man, formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, but now he had received mercy. He says that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and he considered himself the foremost of these sinners, he says in verse 15. So God gave Paul mercy to display his perfect patience with him as an example to others in verse 16. And throughout these, this series, we've seen how God was merciful toward the Apostle Paul in spite of his ignorance. On the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to Paul, changing his life forever. Paul then charged Timothy to hold fast to the faith and a good conscience, unlike some who had made shipwreck of their faith, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, he names in verse 20. In chapter 2, Paul outlines how Timothy should instruct the believers to live. Uh, in verses 1 through 7, he speaks of praying for all people, but in particular for kings and rulers, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way, he says in verse 2. We are told this is helpful for gospel proclamation, since God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus is the only mediator, Paul presents, between God and men, and he gave himself as a ransom for many, Paul writes in verses 5 and 6. Then in chapter 2, in verses 8 through 15, Paul talks about gender roles in the church. His desire is that men should pray having holy hands, which I think is a metaphor for righteous conduct, a righteous lifestyle, and that women should not be focused on their appearance, but on adorning themselves with good works, in verses 8 through 10. Paul says that women should learn quietly in the church which, with all submissiveness and should not teach or exercise authority over a man, verses 11 and 12. So leadership and teaching roles in the church are to be reserved for men, according to the Apostle Paul. Paul's reasoning for this goes back to creation. God created Adam first and then Eve and not the reverse, in verses 13 and 14. In chapter 3, Paul lays out qualifications for leadership in the local church. Verses 1 through 7 deal with overseers, or elders, we might call them, and verses 8 through 13 deal with qualifications for deacons. Now, it is notable that elders must be above reproach, manage their households well, not be recent converts. They should be thought well of by outsiders, that is, those who are outside the church, among many other qualifications that are listed in this first section, and these are helpful assessments for judging whether someone is capable of being a leader as an elder in the church. Deacons are addressed in the following section, and they have many of the same characteristics or qualifications uh, that elders have. This shows us not only something about leadership in the local church, but really what the mature Christian life looks like, and so what we can all strive toward, whether men or women. Paul then wrote in verse 14 that he hoped to see Timothy soon, but was writing in case he was delayed. His instructions were written to help Timothy 
to know how to behave in the household of God, which he calls in verse 15, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is to be a source of truth in the world around us. In chapter 4, Paul warns that the Holy Spirit had predicted that in times to come some would depart from the faith to follow after deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. But Timothy was not to be as such. He was to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, having nothing to do with silly myths, but instead training himself for godliness. Look at chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul tells Timothy not to be despised then for his youth, but to be an example to other believers in his character and conduct, devoting himself to Scripture and not neglecting his spiritual gift. Timothy was to keep a close watch on himself and on his teaching, as Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 16. Moving into chapter 5, chapter 5 deals with practical issues uh, within the church. In verses 1 through 16, Paul deals with widows specifically in the church and how they should be cared for by the church. He begins by writing that if a, a widow has children or grandchildren, that those people really should be caring for their parents and for their grandparents by providing for them. If, however, the person is completely alone, the church should come alongside them to help in verses 9 through 16. I think this is a way for Paul to admonish younger people that if they have uh, someone older in their life who needs taken care of, it's really a way of honoring your father and mother to take care of them in their old age, particularly if one of the uh, parents passes away. Uh, they are in need of some specific help. Uh, he goes on to say that younger widows, and, and lists out very specifically here, widows who are under the age of 60 should seek to remarry. That's his desire for them in verse 14. And uh, upon being able to do that, they might take care of their households. But uh, older women should be provided for by the church, according to the Apostle Paul. Paul then directs himself towards elders once again in verse 17 and following. He says, The elders who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those whose labor in, in preaching and in teaching in verse 17. This probably has the sense of financial provision for those individuals that the double honor is not simply respect, but in actually respecting them by providing financially for them. Charges against an elder should not be accepted unless there are at least two or three witnesses against them in verse 19. And then he turns to address some more, uh, more general sins within the church. Those who persist in sin should be publicly rebuked, Paul says in verse 20. And nothing should be done in partiality. There should be no partiality in the church, 
Uh, the church should be wise in their laying on of hands, which is probably a reference to appointing of subsequent leadership in verse 22. So churches should be slow to bring on uh, new leaders, new elders, testing them and making sure that they are dependable and trustworthy before bringing them on and giving them a leadership position. In chapter 6, which is the final chapter of 1 Timothy, in the first two verses, Paul addresses slaves, telling them to serve regarding their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching of the Lord may not be reviled. Again, this sounds very foreign to our uh, modern ears, but uh, in those circumstances, in those situations, the institution of slavery was so ingrained into their society, they really had no hope of eradicating the institution itself. And so Paul is telling them how they could endure through very difficult circumstances. So he says those slaves who have believing masters should serve them all the more since they uh, benefit their brothers in Christ. Their masters are also their brothers in Christ. Now, Paul doesn't here go on to address masters, but as we've seen, he's addressed them in other places. Masters are to treat their servants and their slaves well uh, as well here. And ultimately, we know from the entire witness of the word of God uh, that slavery was not part of God's good design for humanity. In verses 3 through 10 of chapter 6, Paul warns again against having a different doctrine and disagreeing with the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We should be content with what we have in verse 8 and not seek to be rewarded for our service to Christ in verse 10. Uh, we shouldn't use the name of Jesus to be trying to make ourselves wealthy, in other words. In verses 11 through 21, Paul gives his final charge to Timothy that he should fight the good fight of the faith in verse 12. He's told to tell the rich in this age not to be haughty or arrogant, but instead to be generous, and their generosity would store up for them treasures in heaven, in verses 17 and 18. Timothy was told at the end of this chapter to guard the deposit entrusted to him and avoid false doctrine, in verse 20, which we have seen was really the main point of Paul's writing this letter to young Timothy. Now, next time we'll take a look at Paul's letter to Titus and continue to see some of the lasting lessons that the apostle wished to impart to younger ministers of God's Word. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partners.